According to legend, long ago a son was born under a full moon to an ancient Indian king in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. This son enjoyed every privilege in life, but he was dissatisfied. Eventually, he left everything behind: family, wealth, power, and physical comfort in search of true and lasting peace. After years of study and meditation, he finally found enlightenment while sitting under a tree, and he passed on what he had learned to others. That man was the Buddha. Throughout this course, I've been advocating for a relatively broad view of mythology, one that embraces aspects of what more commonly might be thought of as legend, religion, theology, and even philosophy. This understanding of mythology is at its most expansive when we think about the mythology surrounding the Buddha. Now, remember that by myth, I don't mean false or true. A myth is simply a meaning-making story. A narrative that provides an interpretive lens through which to understand human experience, the nature of the world, and the nature of the divine. It's a story with implications and significance beyond itself. A story that informs how we make sense of and live our lives as individuals embedded in specific cultural communities. The mythology of Buddhism does all these things, and it does so in several distinctive ways. First, it focuses to a large extent on one figure, the Buddha. We'll spend much of this lecture focusing on him. Second, since Buddhism spreads so widely throughout India, Sri Lanka, China, Japan, and other parts of East Asia, its mythology is very diverse as well, reflecting distinctive elements of each culture. We'll come back to this point later. And finally, the mythology of Buddhism isn't found in any single epic. Or even in any cohesive collection. Instead, it's better to understand the mythology of Buddhism as a huge anthology of short stories. Almost every individual story can stand on its own, and the stories don't necessarily speak to each other. But after you listen to a number of them, you begin to hear certain story motifs and themes repeated over and over again. We begin with the life of the Buddha. The myth tradition that developed around the Buddha focused on specific moments in his various incarnations, especially his life as a human in this age. Myths about the Buddha became part of the common folk culture in countries throughout East and South Asia, and they are absolutely essential parts of a traditional introduction to Buddhism. The most well-known stories about the Buddha describe his emergence in this age as a spiritual role model. They couple his life story with the basic elements of Buddhist thought and practice, culminating in the experience of enlightenment. Siddhartha Gautama was born into a wealthy Indian family sometime between the sixth and the fourth centuries BCE. The name Siddhartha means one who achieves his goal, but he didn't attract any special attention as a child or as a young man. He grew up as a prince in continual comfort, without a care in the world, and without any awareness of human suffering, until one day this all changed. When he was 29 years old, married and a father, Siddhartha finally left the walls of his family's compound and rode through the streets of the city with his chariot driver Chandaka. They first came upon an old man. 
Siddhartha was astonished. He had never seen a body ravaged by old age. Chandaka told him that what he was seeing was not unusual. All human beings experience aging. Next, Siddhartha came upon a sick person whose body was disfigured and weakened by disease. Again, Siddhartha was astonished because he had never seen illness or disease. And again, Chandaka stated that all human beings experience illness and pain at some time in their lives. Third, Siddhartha passed a dead body. He had never witnessed death. So the limitations of the mortal body had never occurred to him, and he was appalled by the sight of death. Again, Chandaka told him that all human beings will die. No one can escape. Finally, Siddhartha saw an ascetic, a man dedicated to finding release from the human experience of suffering associated with aging, illness, and death by practices of self-denial, such as fasting and extended periods of meditation. Siddhartha committed himself to becoming an ascetic. This story, known as the Four Sights, is the foundational story of Buddhism. Now, there are some minor variations, but every version of this story ends with the sheltered prince relinquishing his comfortable lifestyle and dedicating himself to a life of extreme asceticism. In some versions of the story, he slips away in the middle of the night, not even saying goodbye to his wife, Yashodara, or to his child, for fear that the sight of them would cause him to lose his resolve. Another version claims that the sounds of Siddhartha's horse hooves were silenced by the gods so that no one in the palace would hear his departure and try to prevent him from leaving. As an aside, certain streams of Buddhism basically dismiss the existence of gods, at least any existence that affects human experience. Other streams celebrate numerous divine and supernatural beings, so don't let any reference to gods in Buddhist texts throw you. As the story continues, the former Prince Siddhartha first tried one path to spiritual peace, a path of extreme austerity. He became a beggar in the streets for a time, and then he studied under famous teachers. He first mastered meditation, but he didn't find spiritual fulfillment in extreme meditation. Then he mastered yoga. Again, he was left unfulfilled. He then tried extreme self-deprivation, living outdoors, eating only one nut per day until he collapsed from physical exhaustion. Siddhartha mastered every ascetic tradition he tried. The legends teach that in every case, he was asked to become the recognized leader of each ascetic tradition. But Siddhartha found no spiritual peace in any of the extreme practices he mastered. Finally, Siddhartha came to believe that the best path to spiritual peace was what he called the middle way. The middle way involved a lifestyle of moderation, which rejected both self-indulgence and extreme self-denial. In effect, it offered a middle path between the life he had lived as a child, a life of pure self-indulgence, and the life he had lived as a young adult, a life of extreme self-denial. The middle path included meditation, but no extreme austerities. While pursuing this path, Siddhartha experienced the climactic spiritual moment in his life. Still seeking spiritual truth, he seated himself under a tree in Bodhgaya, India, usually identified as a fig tree, 
and he vowed not to get up until he had found truth. After meditating for 49 days, he experienced enlightenment. The number seven and multiples of seven appear frequently throughout Buddhist thought, probably as a number signaling completion or fullness. According to the Buddhist tradition, Siddhartha's enlightenment began with the profound realization of our fundamental human condition, followed by discernment of the steps necessary to experience liberation. His understanding of the human condition is codified in the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths exclude, include an explanation for suffering and a pathway toward enlightenment. Specifically, the Four Noble Truths include four points that build on one another. First, the common human condition is fundamentally one of suffering. Second, This suffering arises from our desires. We all want things that we can't have or that we can't hold on to permanently. Third, suffering will come to an end when we cease to desire things. And fourth, there's a method to cease all desiring. Then Siddhartha outlined a method for ceasing all desiring known as the Eightfold Path. Now in brief, The Eightfold Path teaches the practices of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, and right mindfulness, which culminate in a practice of right concentration or right meditation. And observing this Eightfold Path leads to liberation. Ultimate liberation is called nirvana. And nirvana is experienced as complete freedom from any sense of attachment, attachment to things, to other people, to this world, even to a sense of one's own individual identity. Nirvana is the perfect realization of our true condition in the universe, and it's experienced as perfect bliss. Experiencing this makes someone an enlightened being. And Siddhartha Gautama was the supreme enlightened being. From the moment of his enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, he became known as the Buddha, a title meaning the enlightened one or the awakened one. You can see that the core teachings of Buddhism can be very abstract, but in Buddhism, they're conveyed through a few simple stories about the Buddha. And this is a key characteristic of Buddhist mythology. It takes complicated or abstract ideas and principles and presents them in story form. The first set of stories focus on the Buddha's experience, since he is the preeminent model of spiritual enlightenment. Subsequent stories in the Buddhist myth tradition focus on the Buddha's nature as a wise teacher. For example, there's a story in Japanese Zen Buddhism about a woman named Kisagatami whose young son died. According to the story, Kisagatami carried the dead boy's body around in her arms for days, wandering from house to house, sobbing and begging for help. Eventually, she was directed to a wise man, the Buddha in disguise. The Buddha told her that he could revive her dead son, but only if she brought him mustard seeds from the house of a family that had never experienced any loss. Kisakatami began to scour the countryside for these mustard seeds, but she couldn't find a single household that had not experienced sadness or death. 
and eventually she realized that her condition was not unique. All of human life involves loss. And at this moment, she experienced enlightenment. This story, of course, teaches a simple lesson, conveying one of the fundamental beliefs of Buddhism. All life involves suffering. But it also functions at the level of myth, telling us something about the Buddha as a teacher and about the nature of human existence in story form. In the story, the Buddha didn't simply tell the woman about human suffering, and he didn't give her a long lecture. Instead, he sent her on a quest in which she discovered this truth on her own. And so the story conveys Buddhist values as well as a brief character sketch of the Buddha in one simple episode. And it passes on a philosophical point that has implications for the listener. Other Buddhist story traditions highlight the Buddha in his other lifetimes. According to Buddhism, creatures are not limited to one lifetime. We all experience multiple lives, reincarnations in different bodily forms. The Buddha has the special ability to remember all of his past and his future lifetimes. And countless stories describe him in these lifetimes, in both human and animal forms. In all of these forms, the Buddha exhibits Buddhist values and morals, and he often helps lead others on the path to enlightenment. One collection of stories, known as the Jataka, or birth tales, describes the Buddha's previous lives and the lives of other enlightened beings. These stories largely originate in India around the 4th century BCE. There are different streams of tales that come out of individual regions in India, but they all claim to present biographies of the previous lives of the Buddha. They read like Aesop's fables, including talking animal characters and straightforward morality lessons. Some of them are very simple. For example, in one Jataka story, a king's gardener lures a special wild deer into the palace walls, using sweet honey grass to entice him. When the king sees the deer, he declares that the deer has been captured not by the gardener, but by the deer's own cravings. The king then releases the deer back into the wild, emphasizing how dangerous sweet cravings are. The story ends with the moral, it is better to eat in order to live rather than to live in order to eat. Eating in this story is a metaphor for any desire, and the story is designed to teach a fundamental Buddhist truth. Desire for things in this world will lead to suffering and spiritual entrapment. Now, other tales are longer and a bit more complicated. Structurally, they often employ the nesting technique that we've seen in the Hindu-Indian literature. For example, in one myth, the Buddha praises a host for his hospitality. The host had entertained the Buddha and a group of monks who came to his door, a common practice in certain Buddhist cultures. The host took them in, and the Buddha offered a story out of gratitude, a story called The Rabbit in the Moon. The Buddha's story goes as follows. Once upon a time, an enlightened being was born as a rabbit. The rabbit had three friends, a monkey, an otter, and a jackal. They lived together. And the rabbit, being the wisest of the four, taught them all how to live moral and virtuous lives. One day, the rabbit realized that it was the day of the full moon. 
and he reminded his friends to be prepared to offer food to the beggars who would soon come to their homes as part of the traditional full moon practices. The otter found fish that a fisherman had caught, and the otter stole those fish and put them aside. The jackal took a roasted lizard and a pot of curd from someone else's hut. The monkey took mangoes from a mango grove, and each went home thinking he had been virtuous. The rabbit, however, upon determining that he had no food to give, decided that he would offer his own flesh as food. Saka, a famous enlightened being, decided to test each animal. He disguised himself as a beggar. And he asked each animal for food. He went to the otter, and the otter offered him the fish that he had taken from the fisherman. Then Saka went to the jackal's den. The jackal offered him the lizard he had taken from the man's hut. Then Saka went to the monkey, who offered him mangoes from the mango grove. Finally, Saka went to the rabbit's home, and when Saka asked for food, the rabbit freely offered to give him his own flesh. The rabbit asked Saka to kindle a fire, and then he promised, "When the fire is burning, call me, and I will gladly jump into the flames. When my flesh has been roasted, you may eat of my flesh." Saka built a fire, and then he called the rabbit, who jumped into the burning coals. Surprisingly, the rabbit did not die; not a single hair on his body was burned. The rabbit, astonished, turned to Saka and asked what was going on. Saka revealed his true identity as an enlightened being, and he declared that he would make the rabbit's willingness to sacrifice himself known throughout the world. Then he inscribed the rabbit's image on the face of the moon as an enduring sign of the rabbit's virtue. As the story of the rabbit ends, we move back to the story it's nested in—the story of the Buddha and his host. When the Buddha finishes telling the story of the rabbit, he then confides to his host that he himself, the Buddha, was the self-sacrificing rabbit in a past life. Stories like this one work on a number of levels. They teach Buddhist values, and they also tell us several things about the Buddha himself. We learn about one of the Buddha's past lives and about his selfless nature. We also learn about the Buddha as a teacher. He draws on experiences from his different lifetimes to teach people in this age. He's not only the self-sacrificing rabbit, but also the wise elder who teaches abstract concepts such as selfless giving through simple animal stories, through easily understood folk tales. Finally, we learn that the host who welcomes monastics who come to his door is looked upon favorably. So this is a bit more complicated than a simple one-dimensional morality fable. On another level, Buddhist mythology pits Buddhism against other Indian religious traditions. The story of the goat who laughed and wept describes a goat who was about to be sacrificed in a traditional Brahmin feast. Now, Brahmins were and still are the upper caste in Indian society, something akin to our highest social class. They are also the priestly class, which in ancient times meant that they were well educated in the sacred texts and they performed traditional sacrificial rituals. The Buddhist tradition challenged many fundamental elements of ancient Hinduism, including the sacrificial ritual tradition, 
the caste system overall, and the Brahmins in particular. So many Jataka tales are structured to correct what Buddhism saw as faulty Hindu thought and practice. As the story goes, the goat was prepared for ritual slaughter. But then the goat himself unexpectedly began to laugh and then to cry. When the priests who were about to sacrifice him asked why he laughed and then cried, the goat explained that he had once been a Brahmin priest himself and he had sacrificed a goat. Because of that act, he had been reincarnated as a goat himself 499 times previously and he'd been sacrificed in each reincarnation. I laugh, he explained, because this time, the 500th time I have my head cut off, I will be released. But I cry because you, as my sacrificers, will now enter my misery. The Brahmin and his students released the goat. Shortly after that, the goat's head was cut off by a freak act of nature. The story says, the moment the goat was set free, it reached out its neck to graze on the leaves of a bush growing near the top of a rock. At that very instant, a thunderbolt struck the rock, breaking off a section of rock, which hit the goat on its outstretched neck and tore its head off. The former priest's soul was released from its incarnation as a goat, and the Brahmin and his students did not incur the guilt of sacrifice. A story like this one clearly contrasts Buddhism with the ancient Indian religious tradition of animal sacrifice. It teaches that Buddhism, with its commitment to foregoing violence, is superior. It suggests that the universe is not driven or upheld by sacrifice. Instead, sacrifice leads to multiple rebirths. The obvious implication is that the listener should stop performing traditional sacrifice right away and follow the Buddhist path instead. Many of the Jataka tales present the superiority of Buddhism in simple story form. In addition, there are stories that pit one stream of Buddhism against another stream. And this brings us back to a key point I mentioned at the beginning of this lecture. Buddhism evolved in various forms at different times and in different places throughout South and East Asia. For example, Tibetan Buddhism, known to most Westerners through the life and teaching of the Dalai Lama, is very different from the monastic version of Buddhism you find in Sri Lanka. And these traditions are both very different from the Zen Buddhist tradition found in East Asia. The different forms of Buddhism that evolved didn't always get along with one another. And the myth tradition that developed around the Buddha became a place where different streams of Buddhism could duke it out with one another. For example, the story of Kisugatami, the woman who had lost her son, presents the Buddha as someone who teaches indirectly through each person's life experience. And it presents a form of Buddhism available to the commoner, to the everyday person. This reflects the priorities of Mahayana Buddhism, the broad category of Buddhism that includes Zen Buddhism. Mahayana Buddhism, which literally means the greater vehicle form of Buddhism, positions itself as distinctly different and more inclusive than the monastic stream of Buddhism that emphasizes lifelong study of Buddhist doctrinal texts over immediate experience. Stories of the Buddha were developed as kinds of endorsements of specific forms of Buddhism. 
In addition, since Buddhism spans multiple continents and multiple centuries, there's a lot of variation in Buddhist mythology, reflecting local beliefs and practices that commingled with Buddhism as it moved from region to region. It's actually quite striking to see just how many forms of Buddhism exist. For example, early Buddhism flourished in India, where it incorporated local Hindu gods, goddesses, and even demons, but also Indian motifs. One key figure in Indian Buddhism was the enlightened being Amitabha, who was born from a lotus flower, a classic image in Indian mythology. Amitabha was said to help others gain enlightenment when they worshipped him and spoke his name out loud, another feature of Indian thought. Ancient Indian thought believed that simply pronouncing names and words was powerful. In China, Buddhism looked different. Chinese Buddhism came to include numerous gods and organized them in a very complicated hierarchy, much like a government bureaucracy. This hierarchy included the kitchen god, as well as the familiar round-bellied laughing Buddha, an enlightened being sometimes associated with Maitreya, the next form of the Buddha expected to come to this age, expected to come when the teaching and observance of the Dharma have been completely forgotten. Maitreya is recognized as the future successor to Gautama Buddha in all streams of Buddhism, but he is portrayed differently in distinct communities. The wide-ranging stories and images of the Buddha from across multiple geographic regions, multiple time periods, and multiple cultural communities are a good reminder to us that mythological traditions evolve over time. One figure, such as the Buddha, can look radically different from one culture to another. This is true across virtually every body of mythology. It's easy, for example, to think of Osiris as a static Egyptian figure. But we know that the Osiris of Cleopatra's time had accumulated meaning and mythology that the Osiris of the pyramid texts did not. When myths persist, they change and evolve, reflecting the cultural homes they find. We find this dynamic in the mythology of the Buddha. The mythology of Buddhism, however, isn't limited solely to stories of the Buddha. It also includes stories of other divine figures, all of whom contribute to the spread of Buddhist thought and practice. For example, there are also female deities in certain streams of Buddhism. Perhaps the best known is the goddess Tara, who appears in various forms in Tibetan, Chinese, and Japanese Buddhism. One Tibetan Buddhist tradition teaches that Avalokiteshvara, a well-known and preeminent enlightened being, was moved to tears one day, by the suffering endured by all sentient beings. The teardrop that fell from his left eye landed on the earth and formed a lake, from which emerged a lotus flower. The lotus flower bloomed and revealed the goddess Tara inside. She encouraged him to pray, and she offered to be his partner in intercession and in his efforts to release all beings from suffering. She's widely known as the goddess, the mother of liberation, a goddess of compassion and healing. Despite the differences between Buddhist mythologies in different regions around the world, certain themes persist. These themes, the presentation of the Buddha as the supreme spiritual role model and teacher, the acceptance of human suffering, reincarnation and karma, 
and the ultimate goal of spiritual liberation, all of these themes permeate Buddhist mythology. Let me close with one final story about the Buddha. As the supreme enlightened being, the Buddha was able to choose when he died, that is, when he left his physical body. According to tradition, he chose to leave his body at the age of 80. He ate a meal offered by a devotee and became ill. His host became afraid that the meal had poisoned him. But the Buddha claimed that the meal had nothing to do with his impending death. Before allowing his body to die, the Buddha asked if any of his followers had questions. When he was satisfied that there were no remaining questions, he left his body and entered parinirvana. Now this is the supreme state of final nirvana, which can only be reached by someone who has attained complete enlightenment. This person is free from all karmic ties and any future rebirths. It's a realm of eternal bliss. There are various interpretations of what actually happened with this meal. Some traditions teach that the Buddha ate uncooked pork. Others argue that he ate a poisonous mushroom. And still others believe that his death had nothing to do with the food at all. The key from a Buddhist perspective is that the Buddha was in complete control of the moment of his death. As a completely enlightened or awakened being, he chose when to leave his body. Traditionally, Buddhism teaches that his final words were, all composite things are perishable. Strive for your own release with diligence. The idea here is that we should strive to be released from the illusion that anything is permanent, even the sense that we ourselves are permanent. The Buddha's body was cremated, but various relics are said to be enshrined at several religious sites. For example, the Temple of the Tooth in Sri Lanka claims to house the Buddha's tooth. But from a Buddhist perspective, the most important thing the Buddha left behind was the Sangha, the community of followers that would transmit his teaching. There have been ups and downs in the history of this community, and each stream of Buddhism understands the nature and the significance of the Sangha differently. A strict definition of Sangha limits it to monastic communities who have taken specific vows. A broader definition includes all Buddhist followers within the Sangha. The key for us is that all Buddhist communities, no matter how they define themselves, trace their roots back to that first myth, the story of a young prince riding in a chariot 2,400 years ago, seeing sights he had never seen before.